Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to, to Luke chapter 1, and then let's pray. Father, again, Lord, would you, would you work? Would you teach? Would you open our eyes to see you vividly in your word? And would we be sharpened, humbled, changed, grown through it? We ask this in your name, amen. Consider with me from, um, for a minute from the outset here, the historical setting in and around Jesus' coming. I think putting ourselves in the shoes of a people, Israel, who for their entire existence had been accustomed to and really expectant that at some point in every generation, God would speak through a leader, a king, a prophet. God had never grown silent for so long, 430 years of silence. Five to six generations had lived and died, repeating the story of hope to their children and grandchildren that God would rescue his people, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of Satan, that he would make a great nation of Abraham's offspring, that through them somehow all nations would be blessed. At least some of them, no doubt, were sharing this. And So put... 430 years in perspective, if that were you and and me, that would put the last time we heard from God prior to the Jamestown settlers. It's a long time. Now we sit on this side of Christ and the cross looking back, having that massive promise fulfilled. These people sat generation after generation in a very real sense a, subjugate, a subjugated laughingstock of society being passed around from the Persians, the Greeks, and after swooping in and squelching and uprising the Romans, who currently held the nation of Israel in a sort of client state. But a glimmer of light, a note of the song of heaven begins to break the silence as God's love, God's hope, God's joy, Jesus would come. And you know, our our theme of joy can be really traced throughout the whole account of Christ's birth leading up to it and the various cast of characters. And look in verses 13 and 14 of Luke 1 as the angel appears to Zechariah. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Look at verse 44. As Elizabeth, the mother of John and Mary, the mother of Jesus, meet as their babies are still in their bellies. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then just listen to Matthew 2.10. This is the wise men upon seeing the star. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceed, exceedingly with great joy. And then look in Luke 2.10. Just flip over a page or so there. 
when the angel appears to the shepherds, or the angels appear to the shepherds, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You see, as the stage was setting and Christ was coming, joy was coming with him. And as many churches have historically done or currently do, we have specifically defined our outline December to be a series of Advent sermons. And Advent means the arrival of a notable person or thing. And we have striven to anticipate the arrival of the most notable one, God made flesh, the Savior of the world, born as a baby by some particular themes. Ironically, something these individuals um, that we read about here, and we see in the birth of Christ, uh, accounts in the gospel never saw until Christ was here. So we get to benefit from their surprise and anticipate and remind ourselves of the immense implications of God becoming man as Jesus. Mike has taken us through the Advent themes of Christ, Christ's coming bringing us hope and Christ's coming bringing us love. God's hope and God's love wrapped up, finding their purpose and fulfillment in the person and work of the Christ Jesus. In a very real sense, the study of the theme of joy is taking the love of God sovereignly poured out on us and, and flipping it. Flipping the coin, looking through the other end of the telescope, so to speak, and see what God's love looks like from man, the receiver of love. And what does it create in us? It's the tangible joy, the tangible result of God's love. So we will set out today to see that joy is the proper and intended reaction of God's love poured out on mankind when God reveals himself to a dead man and calls, redeems, sanctifies, and makes new that dead man, his earthly and eternal state of being can be and should only be joy. So friends, together let us see the love of God and the person of Christ poured out on lowly, undeserving sinners, and let us see our joy in Christ today. Before we go much further, I believe it would serve us really well to define joy. We need to to clarify this word, in particular in this Christmas season, because I don't want us for one second to confuse, to confuse the joy God gives us in Christ to be substituted with warm, feel-good, happy tastes and smells and, and sounds of the season. So joy defined. If I asked you, if you were asked to define joy, what would you say? First thought in your head. I think most of us probably come up with something involving happiness. You may even have thought of a few things that produce happiness in you, like your spouse, your kids, your job, a hobby, your friends. But I want to set out to make a differentiation between joy and happiness. Happiness is defined by really any major resource. What will always point to excitement in and around pleasant experiences. Okay? In other words... Our circumstances are such that we are pleased, and that's happiness. Joy, on the other hand, defined will always point to a deeper contentment that is eternal, not reliant on external circumstances. That being the case, joy, very rightly so, should produce happiness. Happiness, on the other hand, will, will never produce real lasting joy. 
Bible scholars and the Bible itself lend even a more clear picture of the contrast. And let's just look at a couple of quick Bible examples. In Genesis 30, if you recall the story, Leah and Rachel are having this, this crazy spat over being accepted by Jacob by how many sons they'll have. And Rachel, out of frustration, she bears two sons by sending her servant Bilhah to Jacob. And Leah, the rejected sister, then sends her servant as well. And he has two sons by her, sort of evening the score or even one-upping because Leah had more sons previous. And you know what Leah says? She says, happy am I, for women have called me happy. Leah got the last laugh. Her circumstances worked out for her, and she cries, I'm happy. In Deuteronomy, when a Jewish man was married, they were ordered, commanded by the law. During the first year, he was to stay home and not go off to war. When a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken. Newly wed Jewish men for the first year were having their circumstances work out very well. And they were happy. Needless to say. And many more examples exist that would trace this pattern. You'd also find examples of joy producing happiness, as I mentioned earlier in that proper order, but happiness, time and time again, will always refer to circumstances working out. And make us happy. And looking at joy defined by Scripture, it's simply take the Roman imprisonment of Paul. Sixteen times in his letters he uses joy, rejoice, joyful, in his letter to describe, in his letters to describe his mindset towards God, towards his circumstances, despite being imprisoned. And consider James' all too familiar charge that rings in our ears to count it all joy, my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds. Happiness is a positive reaction to circumstances that please us. Joy is one's heart set on something greater than our circumstances. Friends, may I submit to you a working definition of joy for today. It is a state of mind and an orientation of the heart. It is a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope Something or someone that provides a source of true happiness. Repeat that. It is a state of mind and an orientation of the heart. It is a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope in something or someone that provides a source of true happiness. We are going to see in our time that remains that I believe that the that kind of joy will only ever be found in God through Christ. So let's set our hearts on someone greater. Point number one, if you're taking notes, God is the only source of true joy. Turn to Psalm 16 with me. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence there is fullness 
of joy. Friends, did you catch that? Meaning God's presence is the only means to a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. Let that play out for you. If God is the only source of full joy, of complete joy, where does that leave every other non-God-based pursuit? Not full, incomplete, and unsettled. As strong and as trustworthy as it may seem, any other pursuit of joy outside or apart from God will never fill you, will never make you truly content, will never complete you, will never truly give you hope, will never truly give you joy. Brothers and sisters, resist the great lie of this society and culture that has been the lie of every culture since the snake sales pitch to Eve in the garden that you don't need God. The great lie. You don't need God to find contentment, confidence, and hope. That's the lie. That was Satan's lie then, and it just keeps ringing now. Friends, that lie comes in many appealing forms. We're honest. Health, safety, kids, education, a new house, an old house that you love, a six-figure income, relationships, a spouse, a job, a position at that job, independence, music, travel, a hobby, If any of these were swept away, taken away, gone, would your contentment, confidence, or hope, would your joy waver, shake, or fall apart? And friends, I would contend if you hesitated at all, or just know deep down, I rest in this thing or that thing or these things to get me through, to shape my identity, my day, my week, my life. You are seeking joy where it will never be found. Remember how God created man when he said he was good? In fellowship, constant contact, walking with God, talking with God, communing with God. You could say very literally constantly full of joy. Because constantly with the source of joy. But then the fall. A massive chasm now between us and God. And unfortunately, we have a really serious problem. Our nature is to care less. To love that distance apart. To love sin. The pulsing desire of our innermost being is to rebel, run, pursue our joy in something else other than the presence of God. And friends, apart from some divine work, we would continue to pursue pursue the empty, unfulfilling, joyless pursuits of our nature. But God. But God, rich in mercy. But God, rich in grace. But God, rich in love, did not leave us there. He had a way, a plan, an agent for lost, helpless, hopeless, joyless, and loving its sinners to have his joy and to know his joy on this earth. Enter Christ. Point number two, taking notes. Christ is the agent or access to true joy. Christ is the agent or access to true joy. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2.
Follow along as I read verses 1 through 6. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Friends, do you see it? In God's presence is true, full, complete joy. Man is dead, apart from, away from God, with no access to joy. So God gave us an access to joy in Jesus. So perhaps when we say Christ's birth brings us joy, we should really say Christ's birth began the process for joyless sinners to be brought to joy. If you're sitting here at peace that you're saved, God did that for you. He pursued you. He called you. He saved you to give you his joy through Christ. Listen to 1 John 1, 1 through 4. It's from the New Living Translation, NLT. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and we, we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life, the one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father And then he was revealed to us, and we proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Fellowship with the Father, communion with the Father, a restored relationship with the Father is the completion of true joy brought to us through Christ. And Christ revealed to man as God's agent to access his joy. Let's say by and large, most of you are probably affirming these texts and giving a hearty amen and amen to the truth that men are helpless, God defires, and God does the calling, saving, sanctifying, and joy giving through Christ. To me, there's kind of a glaring question out there. How? How do I live it? How do I internalize that joy? I'm saved. I get that. Joy is the second fruit of the Spirit, after all. So how do I live in God's joy through Christ? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Let's see together.
Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, what motivated Christ to endure the cross? What drove him to such lengths? Alone, naked, beaten, bleeding, falsely condemned as a sinner by sinners, rejected and mocked by his country and countrymen, rejected by his family, rejected by his friends, and ultimately rejected and condemned by eternal God, his Father. Why? How did Christ endure that? Do you see it in there? Who for the joy set before him? What was the joy before him? Being seated at the right hand of the Father. Presence with the giver of full joy. Christ himself conquered every power Satan could muster in all the brokenness in the world by pursuing his joy, his God. His Father, what about us? You and me, facing trials, facing life, how do we do it? At the beginning of verse 2. Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. He did it so we didn't have to. He endured, he died, he rose He fought the powers of darkness. He brought us to God. Friends, if you belong to Christ, he will bring you to the only true source of joy. Look to him. Set your gaze on him. Things are going awesome. Look to Jesus. When we are blessed with overwhelming blessing and abundance, look to Jesus. When we feel more deeply in love, with our spouse than ever, look to Jesus. When our kids obey perfectly, look to Jesus. Friends, when the pain comes, look to Jesus. When you fall, look to Jesus. When the money is gone and you have no clue what's next, look to Jesus. When disease ravages your body, look to Jesus. Mommies, when you, when you can't take another whine or whimper, look to Jesus. Men, when you, when you don't know how, know how to lead in your home, look to Jesus. When you are scared to even leave the house, look to Jesus. When you're lonely, look to Jesus. When you want to scream, look to Jesus. When you're having a plain old bad day, look to Jesus. When you are afraid to speak the name of Christ, Christ, look to Jesus. And in doing so, I I don't know if any of us will ever face this kind of persecution for knowing and claiming Christ. But friends, if you ever face the inquisitioners copped a gun pressed against your forehead, O Christian, may you yell with all your might, as Stephen did as the rocks were raining down on him. Look, he said, I see heaven open. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Friends, in the worst of times, in the best of times, when 
The trials are various. When the trials seem completely unique to you, pursue the joy that God has given you in the one he has provided for you and look to Jesus. Consider these words of Jesus himself in John 15. A little insight into how. How to do that. I want to look to Jesus. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Did you catch that? Christian friend, in looking to Jesus, look to his words that he has spoken and the words about him. Saturate yourself in the word. Jesus is, is the word of heaven and saturate yourself with with it, know the word, memorize the word, learn to dig deep into how God connects and ties and points to the person of Jesus and find yourself enduring trials, conquering vices, banishing fears, living boldly in the joy that Christ has brought you to. Because you, know, you are no longer dead, but you're finally alive, alive to God in Christ, and you are sealed as his beloved forever. Christian, know this book. Know your Jesus and find your full joy in God. Number three, we are called to proclaim true joy. Turn to Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah chapter 12. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for you. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Catch that? This is an account believers who would be saved. God has become their salvation. Verse 3. With joy you will draw water. It's a prophetic. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. You will say in that day, you will say in this day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. If I were to ask the kids here to give me an example of something huge and powerful, any kids listening? Aiden, you listening? What's something huge and powerful? It's anything. Any kids? Not me, Kale. <laughs> something that's not a person. What's something huge and powerful? Sammy? What's something big and powerful? A missile. A mi- oh, that's great. A missile. Perfect example. That wasn't even one that I was thinking. Thank you, Sammy. 
if that object were to strike you, <laughs> would there be an effect? I think so. Um, there would be an, an immense, noticeable, visible effect by a missile striking you, correct? Friends, how big and powerful and vast and all-encompassing is God's love poured out? How big is God's joy he has bought for you in Christ? Does it show? Have you been run over, plastered, exploded, overwhelmed by God's joy, or or just tapped on the shoulder by it? I mean, does Sun Prairie know that the 60 people in this room or so have been leveled by God's love? Does your work know? Do your neighbors know? Do they see you making known to all the earth the joy that you now have access to in Christ? You know what's really scary about this text in verse 4? You will say on that day. You will. This isn't optional. Proclaiming to the ends of the earth the contentment, confidence, and hope, the joy that you have in God through Christ is the reaction of a redeemed sinner. No caveats. No, well, it's not my gifting. No, well, some will and some won't. If you have been struck by God's love and brought into his joy through Christ, it will come out of your life and your mouth. And not just in the four walls of the colonial club, and not just in your living room at family worship, what does it say to the ends of the earth? God is the source of true joy. God gives us access to that joy in Christ. We are called to proclaim that joy. In closing, I... I understand that we are not physically with God yet. In a very real sense, though, our our ransom has been paid for by Christ. Christ is daily pleading our case before the throne, accessing God's joy for us, making contentment and confidence and hope possible for us. But it's it's not fully realized yet. We're not home yet. We're not with God yet. So that already not yet scenario we talk about a lot. I know life is hard. And living in constant Christ-fueled joy is tough. We've real battles on our hands with, between our sin nature, Satan's armies, and a skeptical and even hostile onlooking world. It's, it's tough. But I just want to leave you with a final thought. As we've seen in this Christmas season, all that God has given us in Christ hope, his love, his joy in particular, it's coming. Home is coming. Complete joy in the presence of God himself is coming. Joy without the struggle, joy without the falls, the stumbles, the pain of these broken bodies in a broken world, it's, it's coming. With that in mind, I want to leave you 
with the words of Jesus to us in John 16. Just listen. Truly, truly, I say to you, you you will leap and weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful for a time, but your sorrow will be will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us today that in you we find complete, full, satisfying joy. And Lord, we never would pursue you without you acting on our behalf in Christ and giving us a way, bringing us to you, calling us to you. We were brought to your throne room in the person of Christ. And Lord, it's changed everything for us. We need your strength to proclaim it, to live it, to say it, to do it, to rest in and live in the joy that has been brought to us in Christ. So Father, we plead for that grace to live it and to do it. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.